Welcome to Dose of Support. We are an interdisciplinary show that highlights healthcare workers. We share stories and self-care in healthcare every week. I'm your host, Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner and a healthcare worker just like you. Remember, I'm not your healthcare provider. Our guests are not your healthcare provider, and we're not giving healthcare advice here. Seek out care from your own healthcare provider. This podcast, host, guests, and associated social media platforms are not representing an employer or organization. It's hard out there, so let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned. Dosies, welcome back to the huddle this week. Did you notice anything different here on episode 30? Well, we do have some new beautiful music that was done by my friend and a physical therapy assistant, John Schreier. And it totally fits the theme of our show, don't you think? I mean, this is our show. It's a show about healthcare workers and self-care and it's fun and we swear a lot and lo and behold here we have a healthcare worker making music for the show so our community is growing and I just love how I'm meeting people and working with people in different ways through the show and so thank you so much John if anyone's looking for some music services you can find him on Instagram at John Joseph Jr. And Jr. is spelt out. So it's like the full word, not just JR. And I really want to thank him again for contributing to the show. And with that, this episode drops, episode 30 drops on inauguration day. Wow, you guys, we made it here. It's been a long four years. And I know a lot of us are on pins and needles. And obviously, I'm recording this before inauguration day so I don't know the events of the day if anything wackadoodle is going on I don't know about it but I know that the whole country has really been on hold and I think that we will all find I hope we find this as a turning point to move forward speaking of moving forward Ryan and I had a blast recording this episode together. Like, I'm telling you, so much fun. We talked way longer, and it was really hard for me to cut it down. So you'll notice that this episode is a little bit longer than usual, but it's because we're literally just having so much fun, and I'm, I was learning so much from her uh, throughout the whole episode. She really gave a good example of how you have to move forward in your life no matter what's going on. And you'll find out what that really means if you stay tuned. So I hope you enjoy this episode and I'll talk to you later. Welcome back to Dose of Support. She's been in healthcare since she was 16 and describes her story as inspirational. Here representing emergency department nurses and acute care case managers is advocate, educator, and nurse Ryan Cress. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Ryan, you are a acute care case manager and we haven't had a case manager on the show yet. We've had other nurses on the show, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of curious 
Like, are, are all case managers nurses? Or can you be a different professional and be a case manager? And just let's talk about that role a little bit. Absolutely. Because hilariously enough, when I applied for my job as a case manager, I was in the interview and I asked them what a case manager was. No, you yeah, didn't. I really was not sure of the role at all. <laughs> So a learning curve. Yeah, okay. a learning curve. So acute care case managers are, for the most part, um, registered nurses who we work in the hospital and we kind of work in the discharge planning sector where I work to send patients to um, acute care rehab, skilled rehab facilities, um, get them into assisted livings, long-term care. We also set up home health services, and we get uh, medical equipment for patients. We, I mean, we put together transportation, the whole nine yards. But um, you can actually be an acute care case manager in the hospital as a social worker. Um, okay. We utilize social workers quite a bit um, in my particular hospital as case managers. The only difference there is that, you know, obviously a social worker can't put in medical orders. So the RNs, ah. yeah, we do that part. And then we also do a bit of Medicare initial reviews for patient charts. And because they're deemed medical professionals, but not on the same level as a nurse, um, they can't really be used to read uh, medical charts. Um, do you want to say like, like a patient comes into the hospital mm -hmm. and like a common like I don't know if it's like a joke or like a slogan or I don't know, but we always say discharge planning starts on admission. Yes. Right. Have absolutely. you heard that? Oh, absolutely. So, so you start this discharge planning and that entails, you had mentioned home health care equipment. So can you speak to that just a little bit more about the requirements for that? And like, yeah, so with the actual discharge process. And um, so say a patient comes in for a broken hip, you know, this is not something that you prepare for <laughs> generally, right. you know, this is a sudden thing. So it's not like a planned surgery where you've most likely met up with your doctors and said, you know, Hey, we're going to have the surgery. So you're going to need to obtain say a walker. You'll need um, a bedside commode or at least the arms from a bedside commode because you can put those over your toilet and use those to kind of help lift. Um, we also, I mean, anything like that. So it's totally not planned. So we're the ones that while you're in the hospital, while you're kind of dealing with this surgery, we help to take that burden off of your family members or your caregivers, or if you don't have that, take that off of you. And because you're a nurse, you have this, this baseline understanding of disease processes and surgeries and, and like all the things. And so you can, you can go in and understand what's going on with a patient just by reading their chart. But I'm wondering, how do you work with the interdisciplinary team then? Mm -hmm. So with that, um, we work with the recommendations from physical therapy. So say we'll keep on with this broken hip analogy because I do see a lot of hips. So, you know, you're, you come out of surgery and physical therapy is going to assess you. They would have assessed you before to find out what your baseline was. You know, do you normally walk around with absolutely no medical aids or do you have a walker at home? Um, will you need to do your therapy? Because, you know, you're going to have to get stronger after that kind of surgery. You'll be weak from the hospital and weak from the surgery. Um, so we're kind of that liaison between the therapists, we're between the nurses, we're between the doctors. Um, we have rounds every morning, interdisciplinary rounds every morning where we're the ones that kind of listen to, we have to kind of listen and translate the medical diagnoses as well as 
you know, what therapy is recommending and all of that good stuff. And we take that and create a, hopefully we try to create a safe um, and happy, if we can, discharge plan. You have a bachelor's of science? I have a bachelor's of science in human sexuality and research. <laughs> oh, I saw, okay, so I, when I was looking at your credentials, I saw BSRN mm-hmm. and I just thought it was a typo. No. <laughs> No. Okay, so you have a bachelor's of science degree. Yes, I do. And so was that like you decided to get this degree and then you're like, I'm going to go be a nurse. Um, so I, so like you said when you introduced me, I've been in healthcare since I was 16. So I started out as an EMT in high school, like volunteered at the local rescue squad, loved it, absolutely fell in love with emergency medical care, but... I went through a lot of things, you know, going through school because when I was in high school, I was kind of torn, hilariously enough, between emergency medicine or dance. (laughs) Well, that is just, uh, (laughs) you know, opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh Uh-huh. I was... um, Okay. Yeah, I was going through as a classically trained dancer on my off time while I was in high school. And so I was kind of... I am also a former dancer. Yes, I love it. We should, we should totally collab. Absolutely. That would be amazing. So, yeah, so I was trying to figure out between that and I guess the elephant in the room with this entire story and interview is that when I was 18-ish, we're still not sure if it was 17 or 18. It's been a, it's been a long 10 years. Um, <laughs> I was diagnosed with a disability called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, um, and that kind of changed the course of my nursing career. Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is a very rare genetic mutation that I was born with that causes all of the collagen in my body to be too stretchy. So you can kind of think of the collagen as the glue that holds your body together. Your skin, your muscles, your tendons, everything is made, your organs. everything involves collagen so it started out that I they thought I was a like just a clumsy kid ah so you had some symptoms when you were younger oh yes um I was oh okay yeah I was born with my right shoulder would um dislocate over a hundred times a day oh my so every time I raised my arm above shoulder level it would pop out a socket it would go right back in because the joint was so loose um, and that's a lot of what you see with Ehlers-Danlos patients are what are called subluxations or partial dislocations where the actual joint capsules are so stretchy and so overused from constantly dislocating that they just kind of pop in and out of place. Uh, that, that can't be comfortable. Um, it depends on how long the joint has been doing it. So my right <laughs> shoulder, it, like it didn't hurt. It was just kind of uncomfortable and annoying. Oh, okay. So like you kind of like went about your business as mm-hmm. a young person and yeah. like, I mean, you're still young, but I yeah. mean like as a, as a kiddo, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just going to keep playing or Absolutely. whatever. So like I was constantly rolling my ankles and we thought like, okay, I'm tall. I'm like five, nine. I'm tall and lanky. And I was just clumsy. So that's what we, we thought. I mean, it was constantly in the emergency room for um, rolled ankles, for falls, for just weird stuff. And nobody really connected the dots until I, I remember I had my first dislocation where it didn't go back in immediately than I was used to. And it ends up like I had torn some things in there that time and I ended up needing surgery to correct it. Wow. Um, so that kind of clued us into like, maybe we should look into this more. This isn't normal. 
So wow, I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and so I'm about 17. And the first thing they tell me is, you're going to be in a wheelchair by the time you're 20. Oh, that's inspiring. Yeah. I mean, I'm obviously being sarcastic for Uh anyone that's listening that was like, you don't know, like, you don't know me. I am like so sarcastic. Yeah, same. (laughs) So, so like, how discouraging, especially like to tell a teenager that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, teenagers are just, you know, dramatic, first of all. Oh, yeah, for sure. so it must have felt like the end of the world. So the the, the best part about this story is it didn't. Because oh. at the time, I was a stupid, stubborn 17-year-old. And I was like, well, that's nice. Right now, it's not <laughs> bothering me. So so I, I did end up having, though, this is where the change happened, was right after that diagnosis, I, um, I, got, <laughs> I got into a prestigious dance school and then was diagnosed the next day so I said you know what that's my sign like cool I'm going to go and pursue nursing that was my goal all right my undergrad it ended up their nursing program just had a really really long wait list and so I decided to pursue something else I loved human sexuality it's still one of my passions is teaching sex ed and that kind of thing just because I enjoy having those like very intimate conversations that make a lot of people uncomfortable and I've always been. Very- and they shouldn't. Yeah, they like, shouldn't. They, like been- we should all have had good sex education to not yeah. be so uncomfortable, which we know is so not true. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I did this for a few years, and I was just like, I miss so much just that hands-on patient care. So yeah. that's why I decided to go back to nursing school. And awesome. So at this time, my so I'm still with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome follows me throughout this whole process. Um, so at this point, I have braces that I wear on my fingers. They just look like rings. Um, hmm. so I'm, I'm about 21, 22 when I went into nursing school. And that was probably the only obvious thing that if I told you, oh, they're braces to keep my fingers from dislocating, that would even clue you in that I had any kind of a disability. Was it like, okay, are you are you a Star Trek fan? Uh, yes, I am. So was it like, you know, like seven of nine has her was it like that on her hand yes her, her oh that is so bad kind of similar like and she's she's hot stuff i oh, love yeah, her she's awesome she's amazing so anyway so if anyone yeah, doesn't know i, had, I really never about. thought about that and now that's yeah. making, it's making my day a little bit <laughs> um let, i am such a trekkie it's not even funny so listeners y'all need to listen or watch some Star Trek, and that's Voyager. That's from the Voyager, yep. Yep, um, Voyager. series. Anyway, so you were like tiny little bionic woman a little yep. bit and kind of amazing. But other people really – you didn't have this visual disability no. that – people would say anything to you, but you, you went through nursing school. Mm -hmm. And so before we get into the rest of your experience, I'm curious, like, like you have this diagnosis, you're a very young person. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like, did you meet people that were like you? Did you see people like you on TV? Did you feel like you were represented in the media? Absolutely not. Um, so at this point, my disability is still very invisible to the naked eye. As it began to kind of progress, my, well, I will say my biggest issue was because Ehlers-Danlos was so rare, um, I had absolutely no one to compare myself to. 
um, no one to kind of look up to, no one to kind of reach out to and say, hey, what does a future look like with this? Which would be fine, except for there's also not a ton of research about Ehlers-Danlos. So my doctors can, can't you know, we can talk about the patriarchy later. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so there's just, there's nothing um, out there to kind of tell me what my future looks like or what somebody who is older with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome looks like. Not even like if it shortens my life expectancy. At that time, there was little to nothing. And so that was about the time that I started an Instagram page for just like detailing my life with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome because it's so invisible. And even people in my everyday life had knew, no absolute idea that I had it. We also... So it affects everything. So my blood vessels are very stretchy. So I have trouble maintaining my blood pressure and my heart rate. Um, so my heart rate will shoot up into the 150s, 160s and just hang out there for no reason. We have a lot of excess circulating adrenaline that kind of goes with that, but it also mm. the actual physically stretchy vessels unable to just support blood pressure. I did not know that. Very mm-hmm. interesting. Like, I'm I'm guessing, so for the listeners out there, a normal heart rate for an adult is under 100, 60 to 100. Mm-hmm. And so what Ryan's talking about is 150, and that, and that would make, that's called tachycardia, mm-hmm. and that would make your blood pressure likely drop because mm-hmm. your heart is going so fast that it can't, it can't pump blood properly. And often... On a, on a person that doesn't even have this disease, when this happens, people get dizzy, they pass out. They, there's all sorts of symptoms, sweats, and just not feeling well, nauseous, things like that. And so, God, like that's got to be just like, bleh. Oh, yeah, out of nowhere. Um, and it feels like you're dying because your body isn't. So the biggest thing that EDS affects, other than obviously the musculature, is... Um, our autonomic nervous system. So for listeners, that's your fight or flight reflex. Um, so just out of nowhere, I will, I remember this one time I was just watching, I, wa- I was washing dishes and it just felt like, like I was dying. I had a horrible chest pressure, my, Aww. but I mean, I know what it is. So I immediately check my pulse and I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. It's like chilling in the 160s. <laughs> Okay, I need to sit down. I need to drink fluids. I need to put my Whereas, feet Whereas, like, the, the rest wall. of us would, like, go to the ER. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like you're just living with this yeah. and, yeah. like, finding a way to cope and work around it. Yes, absolutely. And and that's wow. why my Instagram was a really big thing for me. And I didn't mean for it to kind of go anywhere. I just did it because I needed a place for my mental sanity to kind of put down what I'm actually going through. And what ended yeah. up happening is people out there who found the same issues as me, which was we we don't know what our lives look like, see someone that is working full time in the healthcare field who is, you know, some thriving, but also sharing goods and good and bad days and what it honestly is like to live a life with this rare disease. Okay, now you you need to you're a little bit of a celebrity. Um, <laughs> tell me about Miss Wheelchair Virginia. Oh like, yes. Tell- like you have, you wear a crown. I do. And you sit on a throne. I do. <laughs> Tell me um, everything. So the fast forward part of that story is, yeah, for listeners, I'm a wheelchair user full time. Um, my EDS has progressed to the point where my hips, knees and ankles no longer support my body weight. Um, there are good days and bad days. Some days I can get around like my place, my, uh, my apartment, I can use crutches or get around with a cane or just use furniture. 
but outside of my apartment, I am a full-time wheelchair user. So um, I've been in a chair for, it'll be two years this fall, and I heard last fall, um, I kind of do some modeling on the side, and a photographer that I had worked with reached out to me, and he said, hey, I'm the photographer for this, and he said, beauty pageant. It's the Miss Wheelchair pageant, and you should enter. And I am looking at that man like he has four heads, because... Like it, listeners who've never seen me before, I have half my head shaved. I am covered in tattoos. <laughs> like I do not look like a beauty queen by any sense of the meaning. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. Do you see me? He goes, No, 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 no. It's an advocacy based pageant. So you go. I got to go in there, and we. It was just like we set up like the Miss America pageants with some parts missing. <laughs> so we did have to do like the interviews. Um, and then we did have to actually write up a speech um, and develop a platform so that if we won, you know, that's kind of what we go around and speak on. But there was no like evening gown portion. There was no swimsuit. We started like, <laughs> you weren't dress like up, twirling. But... You weren't like twirling a baton. No, there was fire. no talent portion. No, okay. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, yeah. So it was really really cool and this amazing experience but never in a million years did I actually expect to win um but I did and so last fall I was crowned Miss Wheelchair Virginia 2020 um I have a crown I have a sash the whole nine yards and I go around the state of Virginia um advocating for other people with disabilities um other wheelchair users and I've kind of taken that platform and ran with it um I do a ton of public speaking I do a lot of podcasts just like this, um, and I speak about, right now, a huge part of, part of my platform is specifically advocating for nurses with disabilities, um, specifically with nurses in wheelchairs, and um, advocating for how much ability we really still do have, and for um, wheelchair nurses at the bedside. Um, and, and that kind of comes full circle, because mm-hmm. like you were when you started this journey, you were like, there's nobody else out there like me. Or I feel, you know, like it sounded like you were alone and feeling like, I don't really know what to expect. And now you are, you are that person for other people. You are that person that's saying, Hey, this is what you can expect. And you're out there and you're like living it. Exactly. And it's been really cool to kind of take my love of nursing and my newly found love of disability advocacy Um, And kind of take that not only to other disabled people and kind of show them, hey, yes, I am a healthcare practitioner, I'm a registered nurse, and I'm still working in the hospital setting, you know, and it's not easy. Hospitals, hilariously enough, are really inaccessible for employees with disabilities. (laughs) Um, And for our patients, you know, it's not super accessible because we're the ones providing the care. And so we have it designed so that a nurse can assist the patient. But if the patient's in a chair themselves, it's really difficult to get around in a hospital. Um, I mean, could they could they cram more equipment in your room? I just don't think so. So, Like when Um, I was trying to start like feeling more comfortable in my chair and wanting to get back to bedside, one of my biggest concerns was how will I fit in the med room? 
I was so the Pixis, like, the Pixis drawer opens oh and like God. smacks like, you in the face. Punches me in the eyeball. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I had nightmares when oh I was doing this. I'm like, there's no way. Just and like every nurse listening or anyone who works in the hospital who's been in a med room knows exactly what we're talking about. They're all horrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to hear about Ryan's journey to working in the emergency department like a badass mm -hmm. and then how she had to make this transition. And then we're going to talk some self-care. So stay tuned. And we're back with our acute care case manager, Ryan Kress, who's going to share her journey into the emergency department as a nurse. Take it away, Ryan. Yeah. Hey, guys. And again, thanks for having me. This has been really super fun. Um, so once I graduated nursing school, got my job as the ER nurse, um, I remember I was so thrilled like because that was just my dream. Um, once, you know, I kind of, I got diagnosed with EDS, I was just like threw my heart and soul into nursing and becoming an ER nurse was my, I remember the first time I was ever out at a bar and a stranger asked me what I did for a living. And I'd literally signed my contract that morning and I, I got to say that I was an ER nurse for the first time. And that will forever be one of my favorite memories. Um, Aww. I, flew into that profession and absolutely thrived. I loved it. I worked um, as a night shift ER nurse. I was a charge nurse. Um, my favorite thing about my, my ER was we had a legitimate toolbox that was labeled fish hook box. Oh, you know, no big deal. Because we got so many fish hook injuries. <laughs> <laughs> I took a picture of that and I was just like, you know you work in the middle of nowhere. This is amazing. <laughs> I was absolutely terrified for like the first six months I, I was a nurse for sure I think everyone and like was. that's a healthy like I'm not saying like people need to have like life crushing anxiety but having a healthy respect and a healthy fear that you know as you're learning like you it's important to oh, have sure. to I mean if you weren't scared that's where I would be worried right like yeah so if there's a new grad out there, or if there's a student that's like, oh my God, I'm going to graduate and I'm not going to know what I'm doing. Like, that's okay. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like I, that's normal. And you should be like, I better double check this. And you should be like, I'm going to look this up. Like, absolutely. So I think that's normal. And I, how I, you're feeling. Like, I feel like every nursing student, when you first graduate, you think, you know, oh, I'm going to be made fun of because I look up that med or I'm going to like, somebody's going to think that I don't know what I'm doing because I needed to ask how to, you know, mix that drug or whatever. No, when you graduate from nursing school, you know nothing. <laughs> like, you know, the I, nursing school is the easy part. That's what I tell people. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, and the joke for non-nurses out there is nursing school is horrible. So <laughs> yeah, like it's trial by fire. And then when you're on the floor for the first time, I mean, you're responsible for someone's life. And yeah. at first, that should be intimidating and is. So you learned a lot. So you were, you're in the ER, you're in it, and you're really learning. So I flourished, loved it, worked full-time nights um, for about three years before my EDS started to flare up again. And so at this point, I 
my doctors were like, you need to go to day shift. Night shift is just too hard on your body. I was having to stay in bed for a full day to recover from one 12 hour night shift, which was not my norm. I mean, I was when in the, like when I was really obsessed with my job, I was working 70 to 80 hour weeks, just, you know, having to come in during the day for meetings as a manager. Like I was obsessed. I was trying to become a flight nurse, um, wow. working on certifications for that. Okay. So you are three years into this like intense mm-hmm. ED, like yeah. awesome. You're, you're, basically you've become a badass you've done all this stuff <laughs> yeah and you're kind of like tabled with some flaring your body's holding you back yeah so what happens next so I <laughs> my it, my EDS kind of took a turn the second I took jobs and it had no relation to the job itself it just was the course of my body I was lifting weights at the gym and I had the second major dislocation on my other shoulder and was in a sling and was going to require surgery. So I started working at this brand new ER um, in a sling. sling. (laughs) It was my left arm and I'm right-handed. So it really wasn't that bad, but (laughs) it was just kind of painted the picture for how the rest, the course of my life has gone um, with this entire thing. So that started it. Um, I worked there for about a year, um, and I started noticing that what used to be just a fun party trick where I could dislocate my left hip on command um, and scare people, <laughs> which I did often, uh, it started doing it on, on its own. So I developed Ooh. quite a limp, but it was a limp that where if my hip kind of would catch, I could fall very easily. And I did at home a lot. I started having falls. Um, trying to like step out of the shower if I would forget and step onto that left leg being so unstable I would fall Um, oh no and as my limp started to progress and as that started to start turn into every single time I stepped onto my left leg um, I still worked a couple months past where I probably should have and I got away with it because my ER was so small it had grab bars completely surrounding the square building. So I could use grab bars the entire time and we were well staffed enough that I didn't need to be the one to ambulate my patients if they needed to go to the restroom. Um, And I got away with that for a while, but it got to the point where I was so afraid that the next time I fell, I would be walking with a patient or I would somehow harm a patient. And so that was when I was never asked to leave bedside, but I took it upon myself because that, you know, fear and nursing at that point in that way doesn't mix. By this time, I was starting to use either a cane or forearm crutches at all times outside of my job. And so I would literally like finish working on the floor and use my forearm crutches to get out to my car. And patients were like, wait a second, didn't you just take care of me? But I had <laughs> yeah. the path and I knew my ER so well that I could get away with it. Yeah. Um, And so I took my job at case management. And in the beginning of the interview, I told you how I went in there and had no idea what a case manager really was. I'd had some in my time as a patient, but I never did. I didn't know like the details of the job. All I knew is that my best friend who happens to also be in a wheelchair, his mother worked as a case manager and she knowing what it's like to live in a wheelchair by having a son who is a paraplegic um, invited me to interview for this job and said, you absolutely will be able to do it from your chair. That will not stop you. So I I did. And that's how I got to case management. So Uh, it's kind of like 
you it landed it landed in your lap luckily it sounds like it's a great fit it sounds like you really believe in what you're doing and it's like important work but tell me I'm guessing or I I feel like I've heard you say this before Mm -hmm. in on Instagram that you went through a grieving process oh yes um leaving the emergency department can you speak to that a little bit um so I the second I left the same week that I left the ER was when I started using a chair almost all of the time. Um, it started out as just, you know, grocery stores or things longer than normal, but it got to the point where I was needing it for full time. Um, and so this is the same time where I'm leaving my job in the ER. And originally, when I left the ER, I planned to stay on as either a part time or just an as needed basis in the emergency room. Because I was still able to make that job work. Um, I I wore braces under my scrubs when I was on the floor. Like I had knee braces and ankle braces. It looked like I was gearing up for war. But I made it work. And I knew at that point I still could. Just not constantly. Because the more I was on my feet, the worse it was on my joints. So, you know, picking up a shift here and there. So I was totally ready to kind of ease my way out of the ER or just kind of transition to something that worked more for my body but at that point my chair was so new to me I didn't know what my body needed or what I was going to be capable of so I take this job in case management and it was my second day there and I get a call and because of the way that those paychecks are billed one job was salary and one being hourly they weren't allowing me to do both and so I was kind of shut out of my ER job before I was ready And before I was mentally like prepared. And so that was the hard knit thing, number one. And then the second is I'm adjusting to a whole new world as being a full-time wheelchair user at the same time that I'm adjusting to a new hospital, a new job. I'm not on the floor doing the job that I love anymore, but I'm sitting in a chair in a hospital watching people do the job that I love. And so that was the biggest grieving process relating to my job specifically, but it tied in hand in hand with the grief process that I went through adjusting to the chair because I I told you, you know, I was trying to be a flight nurse. Um, All I wanted to do was emergency medicine. And it seemed like no matter what I tried and no matter how good I got in my chair and no matter how much I advocated for getting back to bedside, the ER just is this one place where I know myself and I know I will never be able to work ER bedside as a nurse because I will jump out of my chair in a heartbeat. <laughs> and then patient. you'll get hurt. And then, and then hurt you'll myself. be, yeah. And then you'll be in the ER as a patient. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, you know, I know that I have, I, there are people out there, I'm sure ER nurses in chairs somewhere, but it's just, I know myself and I know because I'm not paralyzed, I still have the function of my legs that I will try. <laughs> so adjusting to all of these things at one time was just way more than I expected. For my body specifically. In my, what I'm hearing you say is you experienced a lot of loss and a big adjustment period at the same time. And you're still a really young person when all mm-hmm. this happens Absolutely. because, because you're younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I was, and that's, uh, 26 that's yeah, that's, that's still really young. And mm-hmm. so here I am thinking like, what got you through it? Um, definitely the about the right around the worst of my depression and of my grief grief process that I was going through. 
is when I was crowned Miss Wheelchair Virginia. And I was introduced to this insanely amazing community um, within the disabled population. And I turned my, you know, my all of my focus and all of my drive to running this Instagram account and developing this platform. Um, you know, it started out as me just posting a picture and a little write up of this is what my day was like today. This is the ugly side of EDS. Today I have to give a stool sample. Here's how that goes. Like, I mean, yeah. I absolutely bared my soul to that Instagram. And I still do, but now it has kind of turned into this platform where I'm not only talking about EDS, I'm talking about it, what it is like as a person who has to use a wheelchair full time, um, what it, what that world is like and what that transition is like and the weird things that you would never think about. Like I'm 5'9", so like cropped shirts were never a thing for me. I never really wore them, but now it's all I wear because seated, it's so much more attractive. <laughs> And, wow. um, yeah, I never would have thought of that. I'm also like very long in the torso and nothing's ever long enough, but like, I wouldn't have thought of that. Very yeah, interesting. Just, like, stupid, weird so you're taking thing. like, you're, you're using the, the, you're using the lemons and you're making lemonade uh-huh. and, and using your platform and your thousands of followers mm-hmm. to be that advocate for people and to like be visible be out there like not be don't hide and you know like I think a lot of people don't see disability like they don't see color Mm -hmm. um uh, and maybe that's not the right way to say it but no but it's true you're absolutely right see it and like you know I I'm I'm not, I'm not sure how to, but you're, you're being this person that's like putting it out there. Yeah. This morning, it's just funny that you'd mentioned that. Um, I recently was uh, talking about going through different things that I could speak about um, on my platform with my boyfriend. And he brought up the comment that people use where they say, you know, oh, I don't see your disability and just how damaging that can be. Because you're like, okay, well, that's obviously not true. I'm sitting here in a wheelchair. You can see my disability. You're just choosing to ignore it because you think that makes me feel better. But it's actually choosing not to see a huge part of my life and my personality and, you know, for me, what I do for a living. (laughs) So it's something like that for sure. So what do you do? Do you do anything luxurious for (laughs) self-care? But I mean, so self-care is like kind of the redirection of your energy like like I was saying like how how you're turning lemons into lemonade and so get and that helps you get through things but but what do you do like that is just for you like do you journal do you have a skincare routine (laughs) tell me I lift weights that is my working out and I was always afraid of the gym because of my disability I was going to say, like, are you more prone to injury, though? Oh, yes. Gosh. Um, so you have to be very careful. Okay. Very careful. Um, I wear a ton of braces. I look like okay. I'm going to a ro- roller derby meet. And when I first started, <laughs> I felt like such an idiot. And I would make sure to go at, like, 11 a.m. with the old grannies so no one would judge me. <laughs> Especially because I wasn't that used to my chair yet. So I looked like an idiot trying to, like, transfer and not fall over and balance a weight. <laughs> like, I was so just trying to find my way through it. But now that I have kind of got, I've gotten space down. I've been doing it for about five, six years now. I, it has helped my health 
so much because I've built up that muscle to kind of stabilize those joints. Now it's yeah, not so great. It's like a good thing for your. It's a good thing for your mental health and it's a good thing for your physical health exactly. too. Exactly, and I didn't. Awesome. I knew I was doing it for my physical health and you know from being a nurse and knowing you know, body process. But the mental health care from it is also amazing because I live such a go, go, go lifestyle. I am constantly either, you know, doing something from this wheelchair or chronically ride my Instagram or work. Um, I don't stop, um, according to my family and friends. <laughs> so Can't stop, won't stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I just well, I don't do that well. So the gym is my one place that I can kind of just let it all go and really just focus on how am I feeling a day? How is my disability affecting me? And how is my body working? Wow. It's very introspective. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Brian, it's been a treat. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Like, I'm not even kidding. You're kind of a celebrity <laughs> and I'm sort of interviewing a celebrity right now. And like, I'm not like a journalist. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm hosting a podcast. Girl, now you know how I feel when they put a crown on my head. I'm like, I'm sorry, who? <laughs> what? And so, so you're, I just, I think that your message is so important and I really appreciate you being here. And if people out there listening would like to follow you or connect with you, how can they do that? Absolutely. So I am on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Um, all of them the same thing. It's chronically rye or chronically underscore rye on Twitter and Instagram. Um, my Instagram is the place where I update the most. You'll find all of my Miss Wheelchair travels, all of my advocacy work, and then a lot. You will, if you go on there, you will see a lot of me just being very down to earth, very upfront, and very chill about you know what today's fucking sucked, and it's because I'm in a wheelchair, and here's why to mm-hmm. oh my god today was an amazing day because i'm a nurse and here's what my life is like and yeah those are those are really where you can find me and hear more about my story and what i do awesome and listeners you know what to do i'm at dose of support on instagram on facebook and we have our website doseofsupport.com you can submit your story on the website or just throw me an email at hello at doseofsupport.com if you want to learn more and if you're really enjoying the show please subscribe. Please write me a review or give me a rating. That is what keeps the lights on over here, y'all. So thank you again to Ryan Cress, and we will see you guys next week. You can extend a dose of support even further by visiting us on Facebook, Instagram, on our website, or by giving us a rating or review. You can always support the show monetarily on patreon.com slash dose of support. Dose of Support is written, organized, emails, edited, produced, published, all the things by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by John Schreier. I'm punching out this week but I will be back in your ears next week for another Dose of Support.